see tonight. Hope you had a good day today, a little warm, but it was a nice day, beautiful day. Pastor and I did a little visiting this afternoon. I went to lunch with Brother Seth and Brother Cecil, and then Pastor and I did some visiting. Felt kind of like old times visiting around here, visiting folks, and got to, got to be like a pastor for a little while this afternoon. And so I, I really enjoyed that. Got to see some folks that not been able to come to the services. It was good to see them. Thank you for coming, though, and being a part of the services this week. And I appreciate so much you being here tonight. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We're going to go right back to lessons from the lost and found. Sermon Jesus preached. Three-point sermon. We looked at the first point last night. We talked about lost sheep. Now let's just kind of review that lost sheep. Who lost the sheep? Shepherd lost the sheep. Says a man had 100 sheep, he had 100 sheep, and he loses one of them. The shepherd lost the sheep. That's why it was so important for the shepherd to go and find that sheep because he lost it. And so he went and he, till he, he searched till he found it, and he brings it back to the fold. It says they all rejoiced when that sheep that was lost had been found. But tonight I want us to look at the second point of that sermon. And if you remember those he's preaching to, I, I, I shared with you last night, the congregation listening to this sermon that day, it was Pharisees and scribes, and they were lost and didn't know they were lost. And then there was publicans and sinners. They were lost and knew they were lost. But they were all lost nonetheless. You know, lost is lost whether you know you're lost or not. Doesn't matter whether you know it or not, lost is still lost if you, whether you know it or not. And, and I want you to look with me tonight at the silver coin. We're going to pick up in verse 8 of Luke chapter 15, second point of Jesus' sermon. And let's just look at the text in verse 8. It says, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now, I want you to consider with me some things about this point that's different from the other points. We saw that the sheep, now it will be the same in the fact the sheep didn't lose itself. Okay, the silver coin didn't lose itself, right? Said a woman had ten coins and she lost this silver coin. So she had ten coins, she lost one. Now, I've often said, had this woman been free will Baptist, the story might have gone like this. She went to the Lord and she said, Now, Lord, I, I thank you so much for those ten silver coins you gave me. Oh, what you, I was so blessed. But Lord, I lost one. I lost yours. Let it sink in just a minute, okay? You guys get your wife to explain it to you when you get home. <laughs> but she loses a coin, one coin. Now, you, you think she, she had ten, she loses, well, she's still got nine coins. Why was it so important for her to find that one coin? I think, again, God wants us to understand that no matter who it is that's lost, everyone deserves the right to be found. Everyone that's lost, no matter what their condition, no matter what their life, no matter what their upbringing, no matter what their culture, no matter what their, their class, everyone has, deserves to be found in Christ. And so... He wants us to understand that. She lost one. So it says she, she's searching for that. But it's interesting. The sheep wasn't lost in the fold with the other sheep. The sheep was lost out in the wilderness. 
But the coin, don't miss this, the coin wasn't lost out of the fold. The coin was lost, the Bible says, in the house. Now don't miss this. This is vital to this part of the message. The coin was lost in the house. Now listen very carefully what I'm about to say to you. It is my opinion that all across this country and probably around this world that every Sunday people sit in church services all around the world and they sit there and they're lost without Jesus Christ in the house. Some of them come every service. Some of them participate in things. Some of them sing in the choir. Some of them teach classes. Some of them tithe. But they're lost in the house. Now, some of them are lost and don't know they're lost because they're depending on the wrong things for salvation. Listen, just because we go to church all our life, that doesn't save us. Some of them are dependent on their works and some of them are depending on everything else, depending on their families and other things and the reputation of their family and if their family are Christian and saved. But I'm telling you, it's not about how good or bad you've been. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But there are some lost in the house, I believe, that know they're lost. They know they're lost. Now, it's interesting what she did when she lost this coin. Of course, since she lost it, she felt like it's her responsibility to find it. So she began, and it tells us several things that she does. It says, first of all, she shines a light. Now, you know how you shine a light in the house, in God's house? You take this book, and you read what thus saith the word of the Lord, and it shines a light in our hearts and in our lives. Helps us to find that which is lost. Bible says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It illuminates our way. It illuminates our lives. It guides us and directs us in everything we do. That, you know, the best way to find those that are lost in the house is just make sure we keep shining a light. Shining a light. I heard about a guy, he walked up and it was night, he walked up and under the street light, a guy was down on his hands and knees looking all, just searching diligently for something. And so he, he goes up and says, did you lose something? He says, yes, I dropped a $100 bill, I'm trying to find it. So he gets down and he's helping him. They look, they look. Finally he says, where exactly did you, did you lose it? He said, well, about a block down the street. He said, why are you looking here? He said, the light's better here. We've got to keep shining the light where that which is lost can be found. In the house. It's sad when to know that there are people lost in the house. So she shined like it says she began to search diligently. I mean, she put forth some effort, you understand? She didn't just sit back and, and wait you see if it found her. She searched for this. Because you see, that coin didn't even know it was lost. It was lost, but it didn't know it's an inanimate object. It didn't even know it was lost, but it was lost nonetheless. And so she, searched, she puts forth some effort and searches diligently, shines a light. She searches diligently. She seeks for it. And then she says, it, says, she says, it says she swept. She began to sweep the floor. Now, I don't know about you. I hate sweeping. I always have. I've had sinus and allergy problems all my life. And when you sweep, I, you, you're going to always stir something up. I mean, you're going to stir some dust up. And I get to, you know, and, and of course, I've convinced Kathy that I, I, I can't sweep because it messes me up too bad. So if I want her to know any different than that, I'll, I'll tell her myself, okay? I don't like sweeping. It stirs things up. But it says she swept the house. You see, sometimes the preacher has to preach what I call some sweeping sermons. 
I'm talking about those sermons that, you know, may not make you feel like shouting hallelujah. Make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. But they may kind of get on your toes. May give some rebuke, some reproof. But if you got a passion, I believe you do, that does that, you be thankful to God that you do. Because sometimes we need to hear some sweeping sermons. Sometimes we need to have things stirred up in our hearts. Sometimes we need to have things shaken up inside of us so that light can get and penetrate into our very soul. So be thankful for those preachers who still preach unashamedly what thus saith the word of God. Those preachers that will do some sweeping even when it stirs some things up. And uh, I'm thankful I'm thankful for those preachers, many preachers that still preach that way today. Not all of them do, but there's, there are many who still do. And I get to be with so many of them in their churches and get to hear many of them preach. And I've not had the opportunity to hear your pastor preach. I look forward to getting the opportunity at some point. Uh, I, I've been so impressed with him uh, in the time I'm getting to spend with him this week and the time I'd spent with him before this meeting. And, and so just, just so when, sometimes when he preaches those sweeping sermons, just... Love him and encourage him. Can I tell you something? If you folks will love him and his wife and his children, if you'll love them like you did me and my wife and children when we were here, God will bless that. I'm telling you, God will bless that. And I see, listen, there's, there's so much potential here. And I believe with all of my heart that you are in a place with your music and the spirit and, and your at, and attitude, you're in a place where God can really start blessing you. And you really start seeing people, new people coming in here on a regular basis and seeing people saved and people's lives changed. I believe the greatest days of this church can be yet be ahead of us. I believe, if I didn't believe you people that know me, I don't say stuff I don't mean. And I believe that with all of my heart. And that's what I pray for this church. And I pray for this passion. God, give this church and this passion the greatest days they've ever had. As they search and seek and sweep and shine the light. Well, she searched until she found it. And when she found it, what did they do? They all rejoiced. Because that silver coin that had been lost had been found. I want to share with you tonight two examples, two classic examples of two silver coins that were lost in the house. Two coins lost in the house. It would be me and my wife, Kathy. Two, different, two completely different situations, but both of us lost in the house for many years, at least all through our teenage lives. I grew up in church. I, I tell people I don't know what it's like not to go to church. Uh, I do tell people that my father, Harold Crow, who passed away a couple of weeks ago, I, I was down and, and I, I preached his funeral. And, and two of my nephews that are Free Baptist preachers, they, they spoke. And I was so proud, so proud of those guys. They've become such amazing young men and young preachers. And I'm just I'm proud of them. And I, I tell people, but I said, my daddy gave us, he, he gave us a choice about going to church. We could go to church or die. I'm here so you know what choice I made. So I didn't have that choice in that matter. As long as, you know, he had this, I mean, for some reason he had this opinion that as, if you, as long as you put your feet under his table and ate his groceries, soaked up his heat and air conditioning and slept under his roof, that you'd do what he said. Ain't that a strange way to have to live? Pretty strange nowadays it seems like. 
But you know what? I'm thankful that I had parents like that. I'm thankful for what they instilled in me and my brother and my sister. So I grew up in church. I don't know what it's like not to be in church. I do know what it's like to be away from God. And I've shared this, my testimony, and some of you have heard this probably more than one time. When I was 11 years old, I was in the junior boy Sunday school class in Winfield Free Will Baptist Church, Winfield, Alabama. One Sunday morning, minding my own business. Class hadn't started yet, and all of a sudden, my pastor's wife, Miss Dixie Atkinson, steps into our classroom. She wasn't our teacher, but she steps in there. She stops in front of me, and she puts her finger in my face, and this is what she says to me. She says, David, I got two things for you from the Lord. Now, that got my attention as an 11-year-old boy for, for a couple of reasons. One, I loved Miss Dixie, and so what she said was important to me. Two, everybody knew what a prayer warrior she was. I mean, she literally would pray hours a day, and everybody knew that. So I know I had to be thinking, boy, if God's got a message to me, he'd probably send it through Miss Dixie because she talked to him all the time. So she had my attention. The first thing she said to me, David, one of these days you're going to be a preacher. And I was 11 years old. Now, in my mind... <laughs> Now, out loud, I said to her, I said, okay, Miss Dixie, whatever you say, because, listen, I wouldn't hurt her feelings for anything in the world. I loved her too much. But I know in my mind, I had to be thinking, Miss Dixie, bless your heart, you've lost your mind. Because when I was 11 years old, I thought the last thing in the world I wanted to be was a preacher. I mean, her husband, Brother William, he was a great man, but he was just so dry and so dignified, so reserved. I mean, he probably had a sense of humor. We just never saw it. And I'd never seen him with a tie off. We would pass his home in the heat and humidity of the summers in northwest Alabama. He would be mowing his grass with a push mower with his long sleeve white dress shirt on and his tie. I remember saying, Daddy, can he take that tie off? I thought when you became a preacher, they put that tie on you and you never got to take it off. I figured he slept in it. I didn't know Miss Dixie had ever seen him with it off. No, when I was 11 years old, I thought what I wanted to be was a biochemist. I loved science and math. I still do to this day. I was going to go to university and get a graduate degree in biochemistry, go to work for a large corporation. I was going to make a whole lot of money. That's what I was going to do. There'd be no preaching. Okay, Miss Dixie. That's bad enough. But what she said next what really got me. He said, and the second thing I have you from the Lord, one of these days you're going to be married to that little Kathy Bacchus. 11 years old. I'm thinking, Kathy Bacchus, married to her. I couldn't stand that girl. Her daddy was a deacon in our church, and she was an only child. I thought she's the most stuck-up, spoiled, rotten thing God ever put on the face of this planet. We, I went to the same public school. I was a year ahead of her, same church. We'd pass each other in the hall at school or at, hall at church, and we'd kick each other or spit on each other or something. And little did I know that must have been some kind of redneck romance kind of thing. I don't, I don't know. But, but she, then she, and she walks out. Now, that's a pretty heavy load to put on an 11-year-old boy. I mean, that's a heavy, I mean, think about that. And I didn't realize it then. But as I grew up and I began to look back over my teenage life and God began to help me to understand the dynamics of my teenage life and why I lived like I did, I started running from God that day. I couldn't run out of church. I had to go to church. But every time I got out from the sight and hearing of my parents or anybody I thought would say, tell them, tell them on me, I was getting into everything I could get into. I started, when I was 14, I started a little country band, me and my best friend, my brother, started a little country band, and we played with some folks like Jenny C. Riley and Webb Pierce a time or two, and we got them when I was 15, 16, that wasn't enough, and it was during that 
southern rock thing was going on in the south and, and especially in Alabama with that Leonard Skinner and ZZ Top and all that. And so we, I started a little rock band when I was 16 years old and all the things that went along with it I was involved in. By the time, by the time I was 16 years old I was practically a teenage alcoholic. In church every time the doors were open. I was in Bible sword drill, Bible tic-tac-toe, Bible bow at 16. I could quote more scripture than most pastors I know today. I run from God as hard as I could run. But I was there for everything. And when you grow up in church, you learn the things to say in front of the church people. You learn the way, we learn that quick, the, the way to act and the things to say. And listen, if you ask some of any of those people about that little David Crow when I was a they said, why, he's a, he's a nice little old church boy. They didn't have an idea how sorry and wretched I was. You see, I lived my whole teenage life as a hypocrite. I guess that's why I'm so transparent now. I just cannot stand hypocrisy. And Kathy tells me sometimes I'm a little too transparent, a little too honest. But I can't help it. That's just the way God's molded me. But I was in church all those years. When I was 19 years old, I was still running from God as hard as I could go. One Saturday afternoon, I stood on the stage. Pastor, you got a clean handkerchief? Text, te yeah, something. Oh, you don't mean use your handkerchief. I got you. <laughs> I, I, I come off without a handkerchief. Rarely do that. I should know better. Stood on the stage of the Winfield Free Will Baptist Church, 19 years old. I was dressed in a tuxedo. I faced a beautiful blonde-haired young lady dressed all in white. I said, I do, and I listened as Kathy Backus said, I do. I should have known then I didn't have a chance. Well, the first six months we were married, I'd always say, now I get out from under my father's house and his rule and his authority. I don't have to do what he tells me to. I'm not going to. Nobody make me go to church. Well, I got out from home, got, you know what I did? and went to church. That's just what I always did. One fellow said, well, you, you know, I'm not going to go to church and be a hypocrite. Well, I said, listen, if you're a hypocrite, by all means you ought to keep going to church. At least you put yourself in a place where God can deal with you and you can, get, and you can repent of that and get right. And so I'm so glad that I kept going. But my parents had ingrained that in me that I needed to keep going. So we went, and for the first six months of our marriage, listen, I don't know how Kathy loved me. I don't know how she put up with me. All I know is God gave her to me because nobody else would have or could have. The first six months of our marriage, we, we lived in a little basement apartment with a bare concrete floor. I'd come in from work every Friday, and I'd go and get in the shower, and I'd get dressed, and I'd get my guitar and I'd start out the door to go play a dance somewhere. And my wife Kathy would be on her hands and knees on that concrete floor begging me not to go. The tears running down her face. She'd put her arms around my legs and her tears would run down on my pants and I'd just push her off. And I'd go on. I'd come back in the early hours of the morning she'd still be crying in her pillow. And she'd been crying ever since I left. I don't, I don't know how she loved me. I'm just so glad she did. Six months into our marriage, we had a youth revival at our church. Had a fellow named Nate Ainge came to preach that, that revival. He was just a couple years older than me. I'd been married about six months. Him and his wife, Becky, had been married about six months. Now, I'd never heard him preach. I'd heard his daddy preach, Dr. Joe Ainge. But they had had him at our church, but I'd never heard his son, Nate. 
And that first Sunday morning, that first service, listen. I couldn't tell you the title of the message. I couldn't give you the text. I couldn't give you one point of his outline. But he, what he might as well have entitled it was David Crow's a sorry rotten dog. Because that's all I got out of it. I mean, he named my sins one by one. He nailed my hypocrisy to the wall. I, listen, when that, they finally said the last amen, of course now by this time, while I was at home, I, my daddy, I couldn't sit any farther back than the, than the road my dad, mom and dad sat on. But when I was out on my own, I sat in the back. I sat on the back right next to the aisle, right next to the door so I could make a quick exit if necessary. And when that last amen was said that Sunday morning, I went running out in the parking lot. Kathy called up to me. She said, what in the world's wrong with you? I said, I'm just whipped somebody. I said, you've been talking to that preacher, hadn't you? She said, David, I just met him. And I got home, I called mom and dad. I said, mama, I said, you've been talking to that preacher. David, I said, put dad on the phone. Somebody's been talking to him, he knows too much. Well, the thing was, somebody had been talking to him. It just wasn't him. He didn't know me, but God did. And as sorry and as a hypocritical as I've been living, God still loved me and he still wanted me. So Sunday night I went back, you know what he preached? Same thing. Monday night, Tuesday night. Listen, by Wednesday night, I've come to the conclusion, it goes through Friday night, I've come to the conclusion that God brought him there just to make my life miserable. Because I, I, I would go, listen, they'd start the invitation, and every night we'd stand up for that invitation, I'd grip the back of that pew, and I'd hold on. And, and they always sang one song. They had one song they sang it for, for invitation in our revivals, just as I am without one. They sang it every revival, every night. And they didn't just sing one or two verses. By Thursday night, I had sat through about 147 verses of Just As I Am. They'd keep on singing it. When they'd finally stop singing it and the invitation would close, I'd turn loose to the back of that pew. My hands would cramp that I, I gripped it so hard. I remember going Thursday night. I used to understand all that week. I'd go home. I can't sleep at night. I'm afraid I'll die in my sleep and go to hell. I can't work, I can't eat. I'm miserable. I remember getting there Thursday night, and I'm thinking, all right, David, you, you hold out tonight, you got one more night. Tomorrow night, maybe I'll ship that boy back wherever he came from. Listen, I don't I never want to hear him preach again. I never wanted to see him again. Matter of fact, I was going to wait in the parking lot Sunday morning. I was going to wait out there in the parking lot, and I was going to whip him all out of the parking lot when he came out, and Kathy talked me out of it. Now, I have preached for him. He pastors in uh, Cary, North Carolina. He's president now of Southeastern Freewell Baptist Bible College. And, and I, I preached many revivals to him. I preached the campus revivals and, and things. And I remember the first time I was there with him at his church, I, I told his people this story. I gave, uh, you know, he'd given his side of it, and, and they got my side of it. And, and I told him, I said, yeah, I, was, I said, I was waiting in the parking lot. I was going to whip him all over that parking lot. Some guy in the back said, you should have done it. <laughs> I said, well, I don't know if I could have or not, but I sure wanted to because he made my life miserable. That Thursday night when they had a stand for the invitation, they started singing that song. I got my grip on that back of that pew. The aisle was to this side of me. We had two sections of pews, so the center aisle was this way. My wife was to my right. And holding on that pew, they got about halfway through the second verse. All of a sudden, my wife Kathy physically pushed me into the aisle. Now, you, you guys that know Kathy, that's not like her. She's very feminine, very dignified. And I'm, and listen, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, Lord, she's going to try to drag me that altar. Now, I'm, I wouldn't live right, but I knew better than, you know, cause a scene in God's house. And I, I'm thinking, now, Lord, if she's going to try to drag me that altar, I'm just telling you, we're going to have a fight right here. 
she didn't touch me again. She didn't even look at me. She just went past me and ran down the center aisle and fell on her knees in the altar. I jumped back in there, got my grip on that pew. I keep watching. I'm thinking, what's she doing up there? She ain't got anything to pray about. She never done anything. But you see, my wife's life was so much different than mine, her teenage years. Any mother and grandmother would be thrilled for their children and grandchildren to live the kind of life morally my, my wife Kathy lived all her teenage life. My wife, an alcoholic beverage has never touched her lips. And by the way, can I tell you, this is the greatest testimony. I never did those things. That's the greatest testimony. Sometimes we try to glorify those other times, but the greatest one is I never did those things. I'm just glad he forgives you when you were too stupid to understand that. She never said a cuss word, a bad word in her life. That never Matter of fact, when my children were teenagers, they just couldn't believe it. Surely, Mommy, you, you got mad, let one slip. She, she never had. Now, we do believe when Ryan was about 19 that his goal in life was to get his mama to cuss. Now, she never did, but she got so mad at him one time, she, she brought me a pad of paper and a pencil. She said, write down some cuss words. I'm going to sign it. <laughs> I, I said, what makes you think I know some? She said, oh, you know some. <laughs> she never came close to being involved in premarital sex. Can I just tell you, we'd go together, and I was, I was a scuzzball. I'm just, I would go out on her, and she'd find out she'd break up with me. Then I'd, you know, we'd go with different, and I'd beg her back. You know why I kept going back to her? Because that's the kind of girl you want to marry. She never did those things. So I know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking everybody here knows she's never done anything. She ain't got anything. What's she doing up there? And then I'm thinking, she's up there praying for her old sorry husband. And I'm getting mad. I, this is embarrassing. They, everybody here knows she ain't got anything to confess. They're figuring this out. She's up there praying for me. I'm thinking, Lord, it's going to be bad when we get to the house tonight. Well, they finally quit singing that song. I, 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 I'll never forget. They finally stopped singing it, and I loosened my grip on the back of the pew, but Kathy hadn't come back to, to the seat. So my pastor, now the invitation's over, the pastor comes to the pulpit, and he has Kathy with him. He says, Kathy Crow has something she'd like to say to us tonight. And I'm back there thinking, oh my goodness. Now there's about 400 people in that service that Thursday night. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, if there happen to be some visitors here that don't know she's never done anything, don't know she didn't have anything to confess, don't know she's praying, she's going to tell us. And I'm getting mad. I mean, that's getting worse. My wife stepped to the pulpit. Only time I've ever seen her behind the pulpit. Now, she preaches a lot. She just don't do it behind the pulpit. But. And uh, she stood there, and her makeup was all over her face where she had wept, and her skirt was all wrinkled where she had knelt on it and prayed. If I live a thousand years in this life, I'll never forget what she said to us that night. She said, I've been in this church since I was born. My father, a deacon here. When I was just a child, one Sunday, some of my friends went to the altar, so because they went to the altar, I followed them there. I knelt with them because they knelt. I looked, they were all crying, so because they were crying, I cried. She said, but nobody talked to me. Nobody told me what to do, what to pray, so I just cried and knelt because they did. She said, you baptized me and you made me a member of this church. She said, I've lived as plain a moral life as I know how to live all my teenage life. She said, but tonight, for the first time in my life, 
I knelt in that altar and prayed and invited Jesus Christ to come into my heart and save my soul. Me and about 399 more people back there, our mouths just... Because we're thinking if she wasn't saved, none of us got a chance. But you see, it's not about how good you've been. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, there I stood. My wife had just said being as good as she knew how she had just gotten saved. There I stood in the back, been being as bad as I knew how to be. And oh, the invitation was over. But I couldn't take it anymore. I'd run from him all my teenage life. That night I finally came to my right mind and I ran to him. I jumped in that aisle and I started running as hard as I could run down that aisle. I remember when I passed the, pew, the road where my mom and dad sat, my mom saw me running down the aisle. She let out a Comanche war hoop, came running down, my dad behind her. I come in, I slid in my knees. We had a communion table there and I slid up there in front of that table and, and my wife Kathy, we had rails. You had to come around. She's coming around here to come meet me. My pastor was a good-sized man. Well, you, you know my, who my pastor was. A.J. Looper was my pastor then. And, and he, he got so excited, he didn't come. He jumped that rail. Now, he missed me about this much. I tell people my Christian life almost started and ended in the same instant. And in that altar that night, I begged God to forgive me. And I told him, Lord, I... I've been running because I didn't think I wanted to be a preacher. God, whatever you want me to be, I'll do whatever you want me to do. If you want me to preach, I'll preach. So I got right with God and answered the call to preach at the same altar, same night. But that night, on January the 5th, 1978, two coins that had been lost in the, in the house got saved. Two coins were found, one being as good as they knew how to be, one being as bad as they knew how to be. But they were found. And oh, let me tell you, what a wonderful life it's been. What an amazing journey it's been with Kathy and the Lord. <laughs> I wouldn't exchange it for anything this world has to offer. I'll never, ever regret that I went to the altar that night. My only regret is that I didn't live right when I was 11 years old. I wasted my teenage life and I could have been an influence for God. I guess because of that, I've, ever since I started living for Him, I guess that's why I've always gone so hard. I've gone as hard as I know how to go for 43 years. Whether I was a pastor, whether I'm doing what I'm doing now, just traveling across the country from church to church and helping us start plant churches across North America, I just, I'll never get those teenage years back. I guess I keep trying to make up for what I lost what I gave away to the devil my teenage life. So it's my opinion that there are people sitting in churches, good churches across this country that are lost in the house. They keep depending on the wrong things for salvation. They're depending on their good works. And then there may be those like me that sit there and they look to us to be one thing here and we learn to do that well. But when they're out from here, there's something completely different. And the sad thing with me is, because I lived that life as a teenager, I recognize it quickly when I see it.
I wish I didn't. I honestly wish I didn't. It's not a kind of discernment you really want to have. But it happens. I was preaching revival in Hamilton, Alabama. County seat of my home county, Marion County, Alabama. Sunday night, I preached this testimony. Me and my wife, Kathy. Sunday night. The next night, Monday night, the pastor says, we have some ladies who want to give a testimony. Okay. One comes and there's two. two act, one comes and gives and then another one comes. Both of them, this is what they said. They said, we've been in this church since we were children. Born here. One of them says, I've been teaching a Sunday school class for years. For years. She's married and had children. Grown children. She said, God's been dealing with me all day long. I was out trying to walk. I was trying to get my walk in around the track. And said, God just kept dealing with me. I began to realize I'd never really had a personal relationship with Jesus. She said, so I knelt on that track. On that track, I prayed and invited Jesus Christ to come into my heart and save my soul. And I got saved. The next lady comes. Basically, same story. Wednesday night, the youth pastor's wife says, I need this. I think, oh, Lord, surely she was saved. Come on. But she gets up and she says, I've, I've held bitterness in my heart against some people in this church. And I know I can't be right with God with that kind of bitterness and hatred in my heart. So she said, I just want you to know I've asked God to forgive me. Would you please forgive me? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, judgment's got to start at God's house and we expect to win this world. We got to get our lives in order. We expect to help other people get their lives in order. She lost that one coin, but there have been coins lost in the house ever since. But you know what? They need to be found. Whether they're out in the wilderness, we need to go after them. But let's don't neglect the ones that are lost in the house. We keep preaching God's word and shining that light. We keep, we keep doing the things that we're supposed to be doing. We keep being faithful to him no matter what comes our way. And I promise you, if we'll shine the light and search and sweep, we'll find some lost coins. There may be some lost, there may be a couple of lost coins like me and Kathy just waiting to be found. God wants to take and change their lives forever and use them for his glory. Listen, I love you folks, and I, I'm not saying this to say that I think any of you, this is any of you. I'm just saying I've learned to take nothing for granted anymore. And I've just talked to too many people now, and I've heard too many testimonies, too many places, that I just understand sometimes we just go through motions. We've learned to the habit and the root and the routine. And we just go through that and it really doesn't mean much to us. But we're just there. We participate. We're there bodily. But we're just going through the motions. That's a miserable existence. That's a miserable existence. 
Let me tell you another miserable existence is when you're not living what you profess to others you are. Because you're always afraid somebody's going to find out. Somebody's going to catch you. Somebody's going to see you. But the thing of it is, we need to realize God already called us. He already knew. I don't know anybody's spiritual condition. The only one I can do anything about is mine. I know there's nobody can tell me this and the world can't talk me out of it. There's no theologians that can convince me otherwise. I know that I have accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I know I have a personal relationship with him day in and day out. I got a relationship with him. And uh, I got his, listen, in my salvation salvation is any Baptist I know because I know whom I believe. And persuaded he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Just like Paul said, listen, we can claim the same thing. And the sad thing, sometimes there are people in churches that don't know for sure if they're saved or not. And have no assurance of that. You don't have to live that way. John said, these things have I written that ye may know that ye have eternal life. See, it's not a guessing game. It's not a hot potato game where we got our salvation passing from one hand to the next, not knowing if we're going to drop it or not. He wants us to know Him and know we've got a relationship with Him. And know that when we leave this life, there's a home waiting for us in a place a whole lot better than this. So tonight, if we think about this sermon of Jesus, lessons from the lost and found, if we saw that lost sheep lost in the wilderness, The shepherd lost it, didn't lose itself. He went to find it. Now the lost silver coin, when lost in the wilderness, was lost in the house. Was lost, didn't lose itself, didn't even know it was lost. The sheep knew it was lost. It didn't know how to be found by itself. Somebody had to help it. The coin didn't even know it was lost. I want to just quickly give you the third point, just just so that I can finish the thought, and then I'm going to go a different direction tomorrow night. But that third one, is I struggled with that third one for a long time, the lost son. Let me tell you what, what, what caused me to struggle. As we see in that third point of Jesus' sermon, this lost son, man's son comes to him one day and says, Father, I'm tired of your rules and I'm tired of having to listen to you. I want you to give me my inheritance, what's due to me now. Now listen, the father wasn't dying. He didn't have to give him his inheritance, but he gave it to him. And the son leaves. He goes into a far country. And you know the story. He, he, when, he, when his money's there, he's got money, he's got so-called friends. When the money's gone, the so-called friends are gone. And we find him there feeding the swine, desiring to eat what the swine were eating. Now, I raised some pigs when I was growing up uh, for FFA, Future Farmers. They had a program that never one time did I ever desire to eat anything I fed them. I couldn't imagine to get how you could get to the point you desire to eat what they eat. And for a Jewish boy to desire to eat what pigs would eat, that's even worse. But he says he came to his right mind. Let me tell you the, the part I, I had trouble with. Nowhere in the story do you ever read where the father went after the son. And, and, and for a long time, I, I just didn't, you know, why, why didn't he go after him? But then one day I was looking at it again, and, and it began to just kind of 
God just kind of began to help me to understand some things. You see, the father could have gone after the son and his servants, and they could have dragged that boy home, kicking and screaming. But then he'd have left the first chance he got again. Because you see, who lost the son? Not the father. The son lost himself. He made the choice. He knew the blessings of the father's house. He knew the goodness of the but he of his own decision, his own will, he chose, he lost himself. That's why the father didn't go after. The son was going to have to decide that he wanted to be found. He had to make the decision to come home. Now I do know this about the father. Apparently, he was watching. I, I'm pretty sure probably every day he watched down the road, hoping that that would be the day that his son would come home. And he must have been doing that because when the son finally comes to his right mind and travels home and thinking, oh, I'll go back and i ask my father to forgive me. And i say, Lord, uh, Father, you don't have to take me as a son, just as a servant. He, his, the servants were treated better than he is being treated. The Bible says when, he, when his father said he saw him, he'd been watching. He loved him. He wanted him to come back, but he knew he had to make that decision himself. We can't force anybody into salvation. We can't force anybody into serving God. They got to make that decision themselves. And when he saw him afar off, he ran to him and he, he hugged his neck. Boy said, Father, I'll just be a servant. And, oh, no. Oh, my son. Oh, and they had the feast. And you know the story. Put the robe on him. And, and the older brother got a little upset, said, Father, I've been with you all this time. You've never given a feast for me. He said to his oldest son, he said, Son, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. But this my son was lost and is found. Lessons from the lost and found. What an amazing sermon Jesus preached to those people that were lost around him that day. We know that many of them walked away that day just as lost as when they walked up. But I'm sure many, many accepted Christ and were found that day. Would you bow with me for prayer? Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord, tonight I, I've done the best to know how, Lord, to preach what you put on my heart to preach. Lord, thank you for finding me and Gabby. Lost in the house. In church, every time the doors were open, but lost nonetheless. Thank you for loving us, being patient with us, and long-suffering with us. Lord, I, I'm not here tonight to make anybody question their salvation. But Lord, I just hope and pray that everyone here tonight, they're saved and, and they know they're saved. 
they have an assurance in their heart and soul that they left this place tonight, heaven would be their eternal home. Because God, I believe we can have that kind of assurance. We can have that kind of security in you. And Lord Jesus, maybe there's somebody here tonight. They've not been a bad person. They've been pretty good morally. They've been here a long time. But Lord, for whatever reasons, they've never really prayed and invited you to come into their heart to save their soul. Going through the motions, looking the part, acting the part, but never really having a relationship with you. God, give them the courage, quit worrying about what somebody might think about them, and start listening to what you think about them and what you know about them. And then, Lord, there may be someone here whose life outside of here is a whole lot different than what it's professed to be in here. And I hope that's not the case tonight with anyone, Lord. But from my own experience, I know that it happens. As I preach so many places now and seen so many come and their testimonies given, I know it happens. It happens. And Lord, all I'm interested in is helping people be sure, helping them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they've been saved and they have that relationship with you. And then, Lord, there may be some that on the hearts of these that are here tonight that in their own hearts they know this may be family, it may be friends. In their own hearts they know that in some of their loved ones they know things are not what they should be with you, Lord. They may pretend to be that with everybody else, but they know it's become obvious to them. and They may know what they really are. Lord, I just pray, help them to know how to pray for those family and friends. Help them know what to say to them. Help them to know how to live around them in such a way that it helps them to realize that they need a relationship with you, Lord. Lord, you just speak to our hearts tonight. Don't let us leave here the same as we came in. I want to leave changed tonight. Lord, I, I want to leave, live living a little closer to you, stepping a little higher, living a little closer to the throne than when I came in tonight. You take my feeble efforts to preach this message. I've been as faithful to your word as I know how to be, Lord. I'm trusting your Holy Spirit to take it and use it and speak to hearts here tonight. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand to your